um, if you would take out your family news bulletin, um, there's a list in there of upcoming sermon series. We have upcoming sermon series in the fall, and I just want to walk through them with you very quickly. We've gone through, we're going through this uh, Summer to Serve, and we're in Together during our Summer to Serve. That's the series title, Together. And then in August, we're going to be doing Renovatus, which um, it's renovation. All the things that have been going on, we want to kind of lay out for you how God is working through the church and kind of walk through the kind of change that God is making within the body of Christ and how he can change our, individuals, our individual lives and the future of our church. So that's the first one. Second, I want to be where the rain ends. This is going to be a study on, on characters in the Old Testament. We're going to take different passages and look at different characters within the Old Testament and how they faced and overcame the challenges of life, how God helped them to overcome the different challenges that they have in life. Exodus 2010. I'm just playing off the idea. I was in my office thinking about this. You know, Exodus chapter 20. And verse 10 is one of the Ten Commandments, and it's 2010. You get the whole idea. So Exodus 20.10, the idea that, you know, that the Ten Commandments are just as relevant today as they were the day that God gave them to Moses. We're going to go through the Ten Commandments. More conversations with a happy heathen. This, this past series, and we did this, uh, you know, this past uh, eight, eight months ago or so, it really had one of the most profound impacts on our church of any series and so I've continued to talk with my friend Anne Marie, and this series just goes through some of the, the challenging questions that we all have in our minds. It's really a debate between myself and someone who does not believe in the existence of God, and she asks a lot of questions, and I respond to her questions, and we go back and forth, and that, that series, that whole ser- series will be really our conversation between myself, and she calls herself a happy heathen. And then last, uh, 1 John. Um, we're going to go through some, some of 1 John, the life appeared, and just take, take and unwrap some of God's most precious gifts to us through the book of 1 John. So, you know, a lot of exciting things coming up. What I'd like you to do is I would like for you, for each one of us, myself included, to think of just one person in your life, or maybe someone that you maybe haven't met yet that you pray about that God would bring into your life that you can invest in this summer and encourage them to be a part of this body either throughout this summer or specifically on September the 12th. It's really the, the first day of the year for church is September 12th. Everyone is pretty much back and all the, you know, summer's over, holidays are over, you know, the, the Labor Day and all that kind of thing is over. So um, September the 12th and try to invite that person that you've been investing in to come to church on the 12th or even before. So I want you to just make sure you kind of read those, read over those, that sermon series and, and, uh, and how God can use that particularly in your life, specifically in your life, in the lives of the people around you. Now this morning we're going to continue our series together during our summer to serve. And I'll tell you, each summer we reach out to our community and world in unique ways and this summer is shaping up to be the best summer so far. I mean, God has really done amazing things and allowed amazing things to happen uh, this, this summer. The, one, of the, one of the first things I can, I can think of is our, our, uh, our, in Nigeria, we have the Oasis House, the Oasis Community Center, where they've re- we've taken this house, we've renovated this house, and it's used as a community center, and hundreds of people are, are, are coming there each week and connecting uh, with, their, with, with, with Christ, with God. 
And we're using it, they're watching the World Cup right now. People come in, they watch the World Cup, and what they do, they set it up and say, if you come 45 minutes early, uh, we share the love of Christ, we share the gospel with those folks, and, uh, and they're, it's free, it's totally free. If you come after the 45 minutes, it's like 50, pe- 50 uh, naira pesos. 50 naira, it's like, I don't know, 10 cents or something. And then we use that money that we make from the community center. We're going to invest that money in something else into that community. So they're basically giving to their community. We're not receiving any of that money. Um, also, we're, we're digging a borehole, fresh water. We're drilling a fresh water well to, uh, to really enhance the lives of the people. And I think I told you this last, uh, last couple of weeks, um, but cholera is a huge thing in Africa. And every year, the, each village would get a, an outbreak of cholera and people would die. And this year, in the villages where we drilled those wells, they didn't see outbreaks in cholera, which is really just amazing. I don't, it's hard for us to really understand what that must be like to not have to worry that cholera is going to take one of your children or, or your mom or your dad. We've also invested in the lives of children right here in Cincinnati through the ride. That's going to be kicking off soon, and uh, that's going to really transform the lives of people here in our own community. And so the ride is something we've been investing in. Uh, We've helped people with financial needs within our own church. You know, it's one of those things where we talk about all the exciting things going on on around our community and around the world, and people say, well, what are we doing for people in our own church? We do more for people in our own church than anyone else. The only difference is, and I'm not trying to be funny, but this is just reality. I can't say to someone, uh, oh, Nancy, did you appreciate the, the money we gave you the other day? I mean, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to point people out in church who were, were helping. That just wouldn't be appropriate. So, but I'm, I want to encourage you, though, as the body of Christ, we, we focus on, we focus right here at home first to take care of people within our own body and invest in their lives. And there are a lot of people within the body of Christ right now who are hurting. There really are. Every, not a week goes by where we're not trying to help someone within the body who's going through a difficult time. So you can be encouraged by that. We don't just focus on uh, around the world. We focus right here at home uh, as well. Our junior high just got back from a, a mission trip to Tampa. Our high school got back from a mission trip to Mexico. Our students went through the, the 121 experience, our high school students, and their lives were transformed. So God has truly been able to use us this summer and do amazing things so far. And, and we also have our just summer to serve activities that we do uh, on a consistent basis out in our community, serving out in our community. And the summer has just gotten started. It's July 4th. You know, we're not even in the middle of the summer yet. Summer has just gotten started, and we're doing so many cool things. And this summer also, I want to remind everyone that we've made a commitment that's called 2010 in 2010. We, we, uh, maybe in May we talked about this, and we, we said we're going to make a commitment and to give $20.10 more per month, per month, not per week, per month, above and beyond our regular giving. And that $20.10 is going to go to help people within our own church community and around the world. And we've invested a lot of money. You've been very, very good with that. And I just want to encourage anyone who's not made that commitment for 2010, $20.10 per month to give beyond. Um, I want to encourage you to be a part of that because as I bring things up that are happening, honestly, more than anything else, more than anything else, I want you to be able to sit back and go, you know what, we, that $20.10 from me didn't really hurt that much to give it, 
But together, as we give it together as a body, that's a lot of money per month where we can impact people's lives. And we have been in some of the things I just described to you. And I want you to be a part of that. So for very little, I don't care if you're in junior high or in high school or a college student, that's something we all can do together to make an impact. So if you want to, just make that commitment this morning. There's a sign-up sheet right out here uh, in wise words. If you forget to sign up, it doesn't matter. You can still just make a commitment in your heart. I'm just using the sign-up sheet to see how many people within the body, how many uh, over all of us have signed up to be a part of this. And what we're going to do, I don't know if you guys have heard on Facebook or by email or just by word of mouth, but the hurricane hit Mexico. Um, guys, those who've been to, been to Mexico, you know how we're surrounded by beautiful mountains? Well, when a hurricane hits those beautiful mountains with all that rain, it turns it back into what it was, you know, whatever, how many years ago. It, we had three or four feet of water coming down through our property um, at LDM. And it, it, it did some, it devastated a lot of that property. Todd and Beth's house did, had a lot of damage done. Um, our, our, our facility itself was, was heavily damaged. The guys uh, got together and linked arms. You're talking a torrent coming down of like, you know, they said like two or three, four feet of water coming down in different spots. They tried to get to Casa Hogar Douglas to get to the kids there um, because they're same thing, water coming through there and just tearing everything to pieces. But they couldn't get through. I mean, they couldn't even get, the water was so, the current was so strong coming off the mountains. And so, um, I don't know, if, if a lot of you have been maybe to Rio 3, wiped out. I mean, the water just wiped the whole thing out. Where, where people, I'm not, they're, not, they're not squatters at all. It's a little community. But, you know, the sh- sometimes they're built with sheet metal and, and you know, cardboard and whatever else they can find. To uh, the concrete, a lot of that was left, but everything else is just, they, you know, they got wiped out. I mean, their animals got carried off. I mean, it, you know, uh, so it, there's devastation there. A lot of the children's homes, um, a lot of them were just um, decimated. So the good, that's bad news. The good news is we have an incredible staff through back-to-back ministries down, in, down there in Monterey, and we will rebuild everything that was destroyed. You know, what the, the year the, the locust is eaten, God will restore. God will restore what the locusts have eaten. So, and, and what I'd like to do this morning is anything that gives, that comes in through 2010, there's some envelopes hopefully in front of you in the seat back in front of you. Um, anything that comes in today through 2010, we're just going to send right to Mexico. Uh, they have so many needs. I'm sure that others will, will participate as well. But, um, you know, we want to invest that we, we are, the, our, our vision is that we are a global community of Christ followers. That's the beginning of our vision, a global community. And part of our global community just got hammered. So what we want to do is let them know we're back here safe and sound, and we really care about them, and we'll do what we can do to help rebuild a lot of the lives that were, uh, that were really uh, destroyed in a lot of ways. So that's what we're going to do with our 2010 money this morning. So anything that comes in, we'll make sure that we invest there. Someone asked me too, um, can we give more than $20 and 10 cents to the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure you can. I mean, obviously uh, anything that we can give, we'll use for, we'll use for those folks there. And hopefully that'll be a real encouragement to them. Um, they, they handle their money back. We handle our money at back to back very, very well. Um, and so the money that we give through 2010 will go directly directly, 100% of will go directly to the folks um, who need it. Now, if you've been coming to Grace Chapel, it is no surprise to you that, um, that our desire, our, our true desire, our ultimate goal is to follow after Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus Christ. 
becoming like him um, is, is, is what we long for. And if we want to be like him, if we want to follow Jesus Christ, if we want to uh, become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, then the question, the first question that comes through our mind, should go through our mind is, how did Jesus live when he was here? When Jesus walked this earth, how did he live? Because if you're saying to yourself, I want to become more spiritually mature, I want, to, I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to, I want to be holy as God is holy. If you, any of those things ever cross your mind, then the question you need to ask yourself is when, when God was here, when Jesus was here, how did he live his life? From the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, his words were filled with hope and compassion for those in need. You know, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, and to recover and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Throughout the New Testament, we find Jesus spending a, a lot of his time, a lot of his time, much of his time ministering to lepers, to the weak, and to those who would be considered undesirable. To those who would be considered by the world as undesirable, Jesus reaches out with love and compassion to those who are weak, who are hurting, who cannot defend themselves. He heals the sick and the blind. He feeds the hungry, and he warns us. He doesn't just ask us. He warns us as his followers to do the same. He warns everyone to do the same. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus says to us that we should feed the hungry, that we should take care of those who are in need, that we should visit the sick and those who are in prison. And he says, if you do that, it's like doing it for me. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And he says, if you do that, you will be rewarded. But then he goes on to say this, I tell you the truth, whoever did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me, and they will go away to eternal punishment. Either he's joking there, or there, a lot of people have a big problem. He says, if you do not do this, there is a price to pay. He says, but the righteous to eternal life. Why is this so important? I mean, Matthew 25, when you get a chance, go home today, read Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 in its entirety. Read that through. Why is this so important to Jesus? Why is this so important? Because as Psalm 146 points out, it is central to God's nature and character. It's central to his nature and character to care for the poor and the oppressed. It is central to who God is to make sure that he, he, that, that's just part of who God is and to make sure that we follow along the, the scriptures. The scriptures. There's, there's, there's main themes within the Bible. One of the main themes from Genesis to Revelation is the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, that the sin entered the world and there ultimately will be a Messiah who will take away the sin of the world. You'll find that from Genesis to Revelation, major theme in the Bible. Right behind that major theme in the Bible is another major theme. 
and that is to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. It is a dominant theme in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's not just a few verses here and there in the Bible. It is part of God's character in essence to take care of those, to care about those who cannot take care of themselves, to defend the weak, defend the powerless, and those considered not as desirable as others. In Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10, we read this. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord, uh, the, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. He, the Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The, the, the Lord watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Generations, praise the Lord. According to Scripture, according to Scripture, defending the poor and the weak and the oppressed is a part of God's essence. It is a part of who he is. It's a part of who he is. You can't get around it. You can't, you can't read Genesis through Revelation. You cannot get around the theme that God cares for those who are in need. And again, it's not just a popcorn here, a little bit there, and we, kinda, we can pull out of context and build around it. It's there. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, it puts it this way. He who opposes the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. But again, only through the life, only through studying the life of Jesus Christ can we truly understand God's desire, God's true desire, what it means to God for, for us and for, for the Bible as it speaks through taking care of the poor. It's only through understanding the life of Christ that we begin to understand God's identification with people who are really in need. And so that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that we're, we're looking through that. Paul says... Paul says, I mean, we're talking about Jesus here. How did Jesus live his life? What did Jesus say when he was here? You see, Jesus wants to, us to apply what he taught. Jesus wants to, us to live out a servanthood attitude. It's only when we come, become true servants of Jesus Christ that we begin to live out what he calls us to do. And so here in, in Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Jesus Christ identifying himself with those who were in need. He wanted to identify himself with those who were suffering. So he brings that, he, he, he understands. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus, Jesus warns someone eager to follow him. We all, people say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus warns someone who's eager to follow him. He says, foxes have holes and, holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus identifying himself with those who were poor and in need. He sent his disciples out with very little to sustain them. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 3, it says this, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Jesus calls us to a selfless life. He wants us to become like him so that we understand what it means, so that not, we can just, it's not just sympathizing, it's empathizing 
We're able to engage. You know, God's not just an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. Jesus understands what we're going through. He understands when you can't pay your bills. He understands when you lose your job. He understands when you're struggling financially. He understands. He understands it all. He was here. He experienced it. He was God. He could have sat on a throne and basically pointed his finger, but instead he came down and he became a servant. He became a servant. He was the ultimate servant. He wants us to live a selfless, sacrificial life. My friends, we're most likely, none of us are ever going to have to give up our lives. What Jesus is looking for, what God is looking for, are people willing in their hearts to follow him. People who are willing to sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice. I read the story this week of a little boy whose brother was in a car accident. And the father approached the young, young son shortly after the crash and said, Son, your older brother needs a blood transfusion in order to live. The doctors have determined that you're the only one who can provide this blood. Will you provide the blood for your brother so that he can live? The younger son didn't hesitate in answering, and he said he would indeed help his older brother. Unknown to the little boy, however, was the relative simplicity and safety of the procedure. The car ride to the hospital was unusually quiet to this, to this normally very talkative little boy. The father at the same time thought it best to leave the boy to his own thoughts. The father and his young son entered the now familiar doors of the town hospital. As the father and son sat in the hospital room, the nurse entered with a needle in her hand. She, she commented on how courageous the young boy was. She prepared the young boy's right arm as she had done to hundreds of other patients over the years and slowly inserted the needle into his arm. The vial began to quickly fill with the little boy's blood. After the vial filled, the young boy, with tears in his eyes, turned to his father and asked, Daddy, how much longer do I have to live? The little guy. He thought he was giving up his life. He was willing to sacrifice. You know, again, most of us are not going to have to sacrifice our lives. What God is looking for are people who have a servant's heart. God works through the willing. Are we willing? Do we have a desire to serve? Do we have a desire to give our lives, to offer up our lives as living sacrifices to him? Because again, honestly, here in America, most likely no one in this church or most people in this country will not have to give their lives and sacrifice to God physically. But what God is asking for is our lives spiritually. He's saying, are you willing to live for me? Most likely we're not going to have to die for him, but are are we willing to live for him? In John chapter 15 and verse 13, it reminds us, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That you lay down your life for your friends. You know, it's important for us to understand that if we're going to follow Christ's example, it starts with a heart, a willing heart of service. If we're going to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then it starts with a heart of service, with a desire to serve, to sacrifice, to sacrifice. That's what swap is all about. Right back here, all these pictures and all the things over here, swap means sacrificing with a purpose. Sacrificing with a purpose. It means following the example of our ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the one who is willing to sacrifice everything for us. Following his example, by giving up something we want, 
to make sure someone else has something they need. Honestly, I'm not going to pound this. I'm not going to try to beat this, beat this into the ground, but $20.10? I mean, seriously. Three days from now, you won't even remember it. But taking that and investing it in the lives of people who are in desperate need, we don't need to do anything with our $20.10 in the next month. Those folks really, they, we don't, we, they, they need it, my friends. We don't need it, they do. We, can, we, have, we have wants, I want to go get whatever, but we don't need it. And the impact that could it have on the lives of others, that's what SWAP is all about. It means thinking through, I could go out to lunch today and spend my $20.10, but I'm going to sacrifice something I want to take that and give it to, something, give it to someone who needs it. That's what SWAP is all about. I had, we, when we first started SWAP, we had, we had students giving up their sh- shoes for a year. They didn't buy, uh, and these, these were young ladies, did not buy shoes for a year. That's a sacrifice here in America, okay? It really is. That's a sacrifice. People who are willing to swap their, 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 um, their gowns out for different, for different dances, you know, homecoming and things like that, instead of going out and spending the money on that, they swapped that and gave it to a, a widow in Nigeria or India so she could buy a sewing machine so she could start a small business and feed her family. Lives, we have raised over $250,000 over the last five or six years through Swap, and lives have been totally transformed because someone gave up something they wanted to make sure someone else said something they needed. That's what sacrifice is all about. You know, it seems to me that we have a lot of professing Christians in this country. I'm not talking to you here at Grace Chapel. I'm just talking overall. A lot of professing, professing Christians in our country. 90% of people in the country are Christian, blah, blah, blah. You read the statistics. My question is, are we really living our lives for Jesus Christ? Are we really sacrificing? Are we truly following Jesus Christ that we would be ready to go out and, and share the love of Christ with others? Do we care about the salvation of other people? Do we, do we care? Do we give of ourselves and sacrifice of ourselves for those who are in need? Are we following the example of Jesus Christ? Are we living the way that Jesus lived? You know, it's amazing. I was, I was told of a study that was done by a seminary with a group of seminary students well, the seminary came to them and said, I want you, we want you guys, we want you men and women, we want you to, to, to work on a sermon about the Good Samaritan. So all of you work on a sermon about the Good Samaritan, and then we're going to give you an opportunity to preach the sermon on the Good Samaritan on the radio. Well, this is a big deal. You know, you're in seminary, you want to get out there and share what your, your gift, where your gifts are, and so you get a chance to, to share on the radio about the Good Samaritan. And then the seminary at the same, when they were going, actually going to preach their sermon on the radio, they paid someone to fake a heart attack uh, on the sidewalk where the people would have to walk right by them, walk right up to them uh, to get to the radio station. And according to the, uh, what I read, every single one of the seminary students <laughs> went around the person who was having a heart attack in order to get, make it on time to the radio station to preach the sermon on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think that's funny. But, you know, it's... it's now, 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 honestly, I've read that multiple times. I'm not sure if that actually happened. You know, you read these things, but, I mean, I'll tell you, you think, well, that would never happen here in Mason or in Westchester or in Lebanon or our, our surrounding area. Boy, have that ever... We ever saw someone have a heart attack? I'm going to tell you something. Maybe it's not a heart attack, but I was on Mason Montgomery Road. This was years and years ago. 
And uh, years and years, 15 years ago or so. This was, that's, that's years and years. Uh, some of you are not even 15 years old. So it was years and years ago, long before you were born. So I'm driving down Mesa Montgomery Road on the way to a junior high meeting. Now, I love junior hires. The junior hires we had with me on the Tampa trip were fantastic. I had a group of junior hires 15 years ago. They're fantastic as well, because some of you might actually be here. Um, you're, you were wonderful, but a little more rambunctious. And we were meeting in the Fox's basement. They, still, they were part of Grace Chapel. We were meeting in the Fox's basement uh, at that time, and I was really worried about them destroying the Fox's basement. So I'm driving down Mesa Montgomery Road, and I'm coming around. Um, I'm coming down, and I'm going to turn on Mesa Montgomery. And there's a, a pregnant woman, eight months easy, standing on the side of the road in the middle of the winter in the snow, holding on to a two- or three-year-old's hand. Her car's off on the side. And I'm sitting, as I'm sitting at the, at, the, at, the, at the stop sign or light or whatever it was at that point, uh, a lot of cornfields when I first moved here, okay? Things have changed. So I'm sitting there, and I, ha- I was late as it was. I had to get there, and I'm looking over there, and I'm thinking, well, someone's su- su- surely at 5.15, 5.30, all these cars going in and out and back and forth, surely someone's going to stop and, ta- and help her. I'm in, a, I'm in a rush. These people are coming home from work. I'm going to work now. I, you know, I, I, my whole day, I, I had to be at work still. So I had to go somewhere. Everybody else is probably coming home. Someone's going to stop. I was at the light or wherever. Maybe a couple minutes, no one stopped. And I, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me saying, pull off. And I'm like, the junior high is going to wreck the basement. Pull off. I got things to do, Lord. You know what I mean? Someone else. Speak to someone else. A lot of Christians going by, I'm sure, in your cars. And I, and I, I, and the Holy, I, I turned, and I'm telling you, it was like uh, pulled off the side of the road because I, you know, I couldn't drive by. I was late. The, the, the basement was not destroyed. But my point is, I was there changing a tire. I was changing her tire, but she's eight months pregnant, obviously pregnant, obviously holding a three-year-old, and no one stopped in the middle of the winter when it was snowing to help the pregnant lady. Is that not a disconnect? I mean, I don't care if Christians went by or Muslims went by or Jehovah's I don't care who went by. I don't care if it was an atheist that went by. There's some kind of disconnect here between what we know to be right and true and how we live that out in our lives sometimes. And so this seminary ex- example, it, doesn't su- it really doesn't surprise me. There's a, you know, someone once said, some, some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between your brain and your heart. Because you can be a Christian, you can have all the knowledge in the world, and you're just like a big-headed person. You know, oh, you got all, you got all this head knowledge. Maybe you need to squeeze your head and get it into your heart. Because until these two things are working together, we got problems. And I'm not just, again, I'm not picking on Grace Chapel. You serve your hearts out. You, I, I'm so proud of this church and what we give and what we, how we serve and the time, talents, and treasures. All I'm saying is that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus expects us to focus on others, not just ourselves. Jesus expects us to follow his example, his example. We need to ask ourselves, what are our priorities here? What are our priorities? Now, you know, God calls us to be servants. He calls us to be humble, but that's hard. I know that's hard. It goes against our nature to be a servant. It goes against our nature to be humble. I mean, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I can be selfish. I really can. And you know what? And I, I can, you can be a selfish person. I can be. Our sinful nature is constantly warring against our new nature. And we can be selfish. It is hard to be humble. It is hard to be a servant. It is hard to sacrifice. 
We want to be on top. We want to be number one, even though we know what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's the example. Jesus said, I came to serve. I came as a servant. Follow my example. I, you know, I know we believe that. My question, as Christians as a whole, I know Christians believe that. My question is, are we living it out? Are we living it out in our everyday lives? I remember when I was in high school, probably a sophomore in high school, and I always worked. I worked from, I can't remember when I didn't work. I used to have a job shoveling snow at a doctor's office. My mom would drop me off. I was like 11 or 12 years old. I would shovel the snow. They'd give me 15 bucks every time it snowed. I loved it when it snowed. You know, make extra money. We didn't have a lot of money. So I always worked. Well, I was, I was you know, in, a sophomore in high school or so, and, and it was a kennel manager's job open. A manager. I loved animals, and to be the manager, I could be the manager of the kennel. So I went in for the job, I sat down, I did the interview, and I told them I worked at this shelter, and I've done this, and I helped animals here and there, and they hired me. And I went home and told my mom, I said, Mom, I guess they know talent and leadership when they see it. Because I'm the kennel manager now. Well, I went to work the next day, and I realized what they meant by manage. I had to manage to walk around the dog poop while carrying a hose and a shovel while a small, ugly dog was trying to bite my leg. That's what I had to manage. I had to manage not to get stuff in the bottom of my feet. That's what I had to manage. That's goat, I, goat poop, dog poop. I was, I, it was, I'm Mr. Poop Man. I, I, can you say poop in church? I, I have to. I can't use it. Now I can't tell the story if I can't use the word poop. I was, I was trying to get, I was shoveling every kind, Okay. But I thought, I'd, I thought I'd be sitting behind a desk telling other people to go get the poop. You know what I'm saying? I thought I was going to be the manager. We, we want to be number one. We want to be on top. We want to be seen and recognized. And I didn't want to go and use the hose. You know what I mean? I want to be the one who told other people to use the hose. We struggle with sacrifice. We struggle with being a servant. And Jesus knows that about you and you and you and you and you and you and me. He knows that about us and he knew it about his disciples. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses one through 17, it's why he talked, that's why he went and washed the disciples' feet. He washed their feet. He was making a point. He was saying, you need to be servants. You need to invest in the lives of other people. He set forth the principle of of being a living sacrifice, of sacrificing for others. That's why he did that. And then in verse 14, he says that you should wash one another's feet. In other words, there should not be a job. There should not be a job. There's nothing too menial for us to do for one another. There is no job that we should not be able to do for one another. Moms are experts in this. Moms have to do all kinds of kind of gross things, you know what I mean, for when they're from babies all the way up through. Moms, moms, I don't even get into it because we don't have to get into even more words, but, you know, moms have to do all kinds of things. Like, they're used to it. But then moms, just so you know, though, as, you, as, as the kids get older, moms are really good at using their finger and their spit to clean everything. 
I mean, they see something on their child's like, you know, they start wiping it out. You know, a kid's like 14 years old, and you're like, wait a second. And you start wiping their, come on, mom, come on. Give the kid a wet willy or something. You know what I'm saying? Moms are great servants when it comes to their families and investing in the lives of their family. That's what I'm talking about. I had the experience. I had the privilege of being with my grandfather when he was dying of cancer in the hospital. I had the privilege of being with him as he spit stuff up that was unbelievably disgusting and I got a chance to wipe and clean his face and take care of him and read the word of God to him. That was, I, 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 I thank God for that opportunity because I got to serve my grandfather. I got to serve him. There's nothing too menial for me to do. I get here at 8 o'clock. And, well, I, I, I don't care if it's cleaning toilets or whatever the case may be. There's no job in the church that the senior pastor should be too high and mighty to do. If something needs to be done, it needs to be done. And there should be no job within the church that we should not be willing and able to do because Jesus Christ showed us the example by wrapping a towel around his waist and washing his disciples' feet. And they were stunned. They did not want him to be washing their feet because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. We should have a willingness to serve. See, Jesus knew that the measure of a leader was not the number of people who served the leader, but how many people the leader served. That was the measure of leadership. You want to you know what the Bible teaches? You want to know what's right? If you want to know what's right without even cracking your Bible, which you should do, but even if you didn't, just take exactly what you're taught on TV and what the world says and flip it upside down. That's what God thinks 95% of the time. If you never opened your Bible and you just watch TV and you listen to your friends and you listen to the radio and listen to everything else, everything the world says, just flip it upside down and 95% of the time, that's what God thinks. So you'd be pretty good. You'd probably live a righteous life if you just avoided and did everything the opposite of what you're being taught on all your favorite TV shows, honestly. Servanthood, sacrifice, we should, we, should, we, should have, we should have a desire to do that and we should look. We shouldn't just wait for an invitation. We should, we should do it when we see an opportunity. When there's an opportunity, you need to take the opportunity. Don't wait for the hurting person to come and ask for it. That's humiliating, honestly. It's humiliating. If there's someone in church you think is in need, error on the side of, of saying to them, how can I help you? Can I give you? What can I do for you? Instead of kind of wondering and letting that person come and ask. If I know there's someone in the church who's hurting through the grapevine, I don't wait till they come knocking on the door of my office, acting like Oliver with their hat in their hand. Gee, sir, can I have some more? That's humiliating for people. When you see someone in need, meet the need. If someone's on the side of the road, you know, you'd be careful. But when you see someone in need, meet the need. Meet the need. Don't, don't expect someone else to pull off the side of the road and meet the need. It may not happen. Don't look for accolades when you're meeting the need. Don't look for it and don't expect anything in return. If you expect anything in return and expect accolades here on earth, then that's your treasure right now. You've, reward, you've been rewarded. And you're, when you get to heaven, that's it. You're not going to get anything else. You've gotten it right here. So don't look for any of that. Just serve because God calls us to serve and don't worry about who recognizes it, who sees it. Just do it. Just serve him. Your reward, my friends, ultimately is going to be standing before Jesus in heaven and hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant, and hearing Jesus say, thank you so much for when you did this for me. Because when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. And I thank you for it. 
I, that's, that's what I'm waiting for. That's what I want. That's what we should want, to hear that from Jesus Christ. This is what makes serving so difficult, though, when we don't have the accolades, when we don't get any earthly glorification. That's what we want. As human beings, we, we want that. We want that. What Jesus asks us to do goes totally against what the world expects of us. I understand that. This is what I'm talking about is really hard. It's extremely difficult to do. Being a servant is not always what makes you the most popular person. But God never promised you you would get glory and become the most popular person. Serve anyway. He never promises you you get any glory for it here on earth. No promises except what he's going to offer you in your heart, what he's going to do for you in your heart, how he's going to build you up in your heart. But he never says you'll get famous or whatever else. Do it, serve anyway. M. Scott Peck wrote this. Servant leadership is more than a concept. It is a fact. Any great leader, by which I also mean an ethical leader of any group, will see herself or himself as a servant of that group and will act accordingly. They will see themselves as a servant of that group and act accordingly. Someone told me this story. A high school around here was having a fire drill. And so during a fire drill, all the students have to go outside and stand around outside during this fire drill. Well, one of the students was an athlete, I think a more popular athlete, and he was standing there with all of his friends. And you can picture this, whether how, no matter how old you are, you can understand the situation. They're out there hanging out with their friends, probably yucking it up, having a good time, talking, and all of a sudden... A frightened young girl with Down syndrome comes up to this young man and grabs his hand and stands next to him and holds his hand. And that young man held her hand the entire time during the fire drill. And then while still holding her hand, he walked her back to class, made sure she got back to her class, and then he left. I, 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 was, I, I love that story. You see, the goal of a popular person the goal of a popular person is to get as many people as possible to think more highly of them. The goal of a servant leader is to help as many people as possible think more highly of themselves. That's what God asks us to do, to help other people more think more highly of themselves. There, this world is filled, it is completely filled with frightened people looking for someone who's holding out a loving hand someone who will reach out and take care of them during the difficulties of life. We all need that hand at one time or another in our lives. The world is frightened. The world needs someone to show compassion and kindness and to help. Whether it's in, it's in your neighborhood or your school or work, people put on fronts, but they're hurting, they're confused, they're frustrated, they're stressed, they're angry, and they're looking for someone who will hold out a hand of compassion and help them through that difficult time. You will find them in your high school, you'll find them in your junior high, you'll find them at work, you'll find them in your neighborhood, you'll find them in your community, you'll find them in your nation, and you'll find them around the world. And when you find them, your mandate is absolutely clear. In Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 17, it says this, Learn to do right. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Now, on Wednesdays, what we usually do on Wednesdays, we come back together and we talk about the sermon in more detail. This Wednesday, 6.30, the junior high is going to be here as well. I know they're going to be here. They meet here uh, just on a regular basis. 
we are going to, instead of going into, back into the scripture and say, okay, let's get, look at this in more depth. We're going to, we've already taught, now we're going to apply. This Wednesday, we're going to come together. Families, young and old, doesn't matter. Come together, come back here. If you're free, I know it's really busy schedules. If you're free Wednesday night from 6.30 to about 8 o'clock, an hour and a half or so, we're going to have dinner together. We'll have pizza. While we're eating pizza, we'll be serving. We're going to serve here on this campus. Lots of opportunities to serve right here on this campus, in, in our, right around here in our community. So we're going to come back together on Wednesday night at 6.30, from 6.30 to 8, and we're going to serve together. We're going to apply what we just learned. And we're going to watch God move and build, connect relationships. Maybe you're going, to, you're going to serve next to someone who's hurting, who really needs your help. So as you're doing something specific, maybe a task or whatever, be looking for people who have needs where you can meet a need. We're going to come back together. We're going to serve together as families, as the family of Christ. Again, you can bring whoever you like, your friends, doesn't matter, old or young. We'll come back together at 6.30 on Wednesday and let's serve. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for this incredible time you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come here and serve.